Mark Rick sat behind legendary University of Miami quarterback Jim Kelly while playing quarterback at the school, but still got a shot in the pros only to sit behind another Hall of Famer, John Elway. He left the University of Georgia as the second winningest football coach in the school's history, compiling a 145-51 and record in 15 years. While winning a lot of big games, he never won the game and was ushered out as head coach. He also suffered a heart attack that almost claimed his life in 2019. Mark Rick set a standard for himself based on Colossians 3.23 that he strives to live up to every day. Mark Rick's life of very high highs and the lowest of lows is up next on Suda. This is Mitch Wilburn, preaching minister at the Park Church of Christ, proud sponsor of Suit Up. I'd like to extend an invitation to you to join us for worship at the park. We are a Bible-based church that loves the Lord and loves people. We have one service on Sunday morning at 9 a.m., and that's followed by classes for everyone from newborn to 100 years of age. The park sits on a rather large lot near the corner of Garnett and the Creek Turnpike and offers a Sunday evening service at 6 p.m., and Wednesday night we meet at 7 p.m. Our youth have their own building with multiple men and women leading them, and our kids age 1 to 5th grade have their own educational wing that even has its own working carousel and ice cream parlor. And I love both. Kevin, the host of this podcast, is in charge of our sports ministry that goes on all year round with basketball, volleyball, softball, great activities. So come see us at the park on the corner of Garnet and the Creek Turnpike, or check us out on the web at parkplaza.org. Let's start at the beginning, born in Omaha, Nebraska, 1960, and then uh, you kind of zigzagged across the country. Tell us about how you ended up in Florida, where you ended up graduating from high school. Well, again, you mentioned being born in Omaha. That's where my mom and dad were born. Actually, they grew up next door neighbors as kids, and ended up. I think they were each other's first love and married right out of high school. So Omaha, you know, was home to... Not only my mom and dad, but all of their family as well. And uh, a lot of the Rick family is still in Omaha today, or at least in that area. Then my dad got a job um, with IBM in uh, in Colorado. And we ended up in Broomfield, Colorado when I was about 7 to age 13. Then at age 13, IBM was making – needed uh, they were making the uh, – uh, personal computers for the first time needed computer programmers and my dad tested well for that and uh they asked me if he wanted to learn to be a programmer he said yes so that's where we ended up in boca raton florida when i was 13 and then uh, went to boca raton high school and then obviously uh, ended up at the university of miami uh, out of out of high school but that's why boca uh, boca raton is uh uh, the reason why we got there was because my dad was with IBM. What was life growing up in the Richt household? Was, was that a, a Christian household? And I mean, that you were indoctrinated uh, since birth into Christianity, or what was the early years like? Well, we um, we uh, went to uh, we all went to Catholic school, and we were raised in the Catholic religion. Unfortunately, my mom and dad were divorced at at age 13, uh, not too long after we went to Boca Raton. And, uh, and then at that point, you know, uh, bottom line is with the Catholic faith, you were, you were out. 
And uh, so we probably didn't go to church for, you know, a good long time until I became a believer in 1986. We're going to get to that story here in a minute because that's a real interesting uh, part of your story. Generally, if you're a, if you're a quarterback who's getting recruited by Division One sports, right. you're probably pretty good at other sports too. Did you did you play uh, yeah. baseball and basketball and do it all? Well, baseball baseball was actually my first love until I was about going into the eleventh grade. Our uh, new football coach Roger Coffey said, "If you're going to be my quarterback, I want you to just play one sport." And uh, so I bought into what he was selling and decided to do that. But before that, uh, I loved baseball, played basketball. Um, I quit playing baseball mostly because uh, I was a pitcher and I didn't want to hurt my arm. So my senior year after I was done with football, high school football, I did play baseball, but I caught that year just to keep my arm from, you know, something stupid happening with my arm throwing a breaking ball the improper way or something like that. So, uh, you know, once once I decided to play quarterback for Coach Coffey, it was pretty much one sport. Now, I thought it was interesting when I was reading, uh, this was from Wikipedia, some of the some of the universities that were recruiting you. It was like he was recruited by the University of Miami, recruited by Florida State University, and Brown University. And I thought, well, that one, right. that one stands out a little bit. Well, you know, it actually came down to Miami or Brown, either Ivy League education or go to the beach. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, Miami actually has a world-class education as well. But, um, you know, I, I, I wanted to play, had the dream of playing pro football, and I felt my best shot would be to play, you know, major D- D1 ball. But education was very important to me, too. I just decided to go with the, uh, you know, trying to play football at the highest level. And I also read, uh, Mark, where uh, Bobby Bowden played a huge part in your life as far as uh, rediscovering uh, the Lord. While I was a graduate assistant coach at Florida State, I had played at the University of Miami from uh, 78 to 82. And then 82 and 83, I tried out for a couple pro teams. And uh, maybe 83, 84, 85, I became a graduate assistant coach uh, at Florida State. And in 86, my second year, one of our players uh, named Pablo Lopez was shot and killed uh, at a campus party. And uh, Coach Bowden had a team meeting the next day and, you know, basically presented the gospel to everybody and said he didn't know where Pablo was. This, you know, in his faith and where he was going to spend eternity, he said, but you guys are 18 to 22 years old. Do you think you're going to live forever just like Pablo? Pablo used to sit in that chair right there, and he's gone now. He said, if that was you last night, do you know where you'd spend eternity? And, uh, you know, he was talking to the players, but I was a you know young coach in there, you know, taking role or doing whatever I was doing uh, to be in that meeting. And, you know, it hit me in the heart, and I knew that, if it was me, it would have been me that night before, then I would be going to a, a bad place. And uh, so anyway, Coach invited any player who wanted to talk more about it to come see him in his office anytime. And so the very next day I went to see him and um, knocked on his door and said, uh, said, Coach, I'd like to see you. He said, hey, buddy. Of course, he calls you buddy when he doesn't know your name <laughs> real good. And uh, 
long story short, I prayed to receive Christ right there in, in his office. So he, uh, he, other than my dad, he's the most influential, the most influential man in my life. I want to backpedal a little bit, though, to uh, your playing days at the University of Miami under Howard Schnellenberger uh, early in, in your days there. Uh, or were you under him all the whole time you were at Miami? Well, year one, it was it was Coach Saban, and it wasn't Coach Nick Saban. It was Coach Lou Saban. Uh, he, he actually coached O.J. Simpson when he was with the Buffalo Bills and ran for 2,000 yards that record-breaking year. Uh, but Coach Saban is kid coached pro ball, college ball, high school ball. I mean, he coached, you know, a long, long time. But after one season, he left and Coach Snellenberger came in. And Coach Howard Snellenberger was the offensive coordinator for the Dolphins when they went undefeated under Don Shula. And he brought the Miami Dolphins system to college football. And that's part of the reason why I got the job at Florida State with Coach Bowden because he wanted to know what I knew. <laughs> and uh, it, it helped me quite a bit. Um, just the, the amount of football I learned from Coach Schnellenberger was, was unreal. Well, folks in Oklahoma have uh, just a, a brief history, of course, with Coach Schnellenberger a couple of decades ago. But while you were at Miami, and you were obviously a really highly sought-after high school quarterback out of Boca Raton, and you had some skill, but, man, you, you kind of fell in line behind some pretty good names <laughs> who played quarterback at Miami. Right. Well, Jim Kelly and I came in the same class, and Jim was a guy that, you know, won the job, and I backed him up my whole career. And then our senior seasons, two other guys showed up as a freshman. One was Bernie Kozar, and one was Vinny Testaverde. Of course, Bernie ended up winning the national championship in 83 as a redshirt freshman and got drafted supplemental draft to the Cleveland Browns first round. Vinny Testaverde was the first pick of the draft to Tampa after he won the Heisman. And, of course, Jim Kelly was first-round pick to Buffalo, but he decided to go to the USFL for a minute before he finally, you know, landed back in Buffalo. But um, So I got behind some pretty good guys. And then when I went to the NFL, the first camp I went to, John Elway was there. <laughs> the next, the next place I went was the Miami Dolphins, and Dan Marino was there. So I was uh, probably the fifth best quarterback in the world at the time. I just didn't get a chance to prove it. Boy, if you had the relationship with the Lord then that you did a few years later, you might have been asking him why. <laughs> why did you? Well, I figured out why he. He knew I was going to coach quarterbacks and needed to know what a good one looked like. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. And you did, and we'll, we'll get to some more of that here in just a minute. So, you know, when I when I sent an email to you, Mark, and asked uh, for a little bit of information, and, and one of those questions was what were a, a couple of things in your life that really brought a lot of stress on you and where you really had to call on the strength of the Lord to bring you through a time. And one of those actually was your first year as head coach at Georgia. Why was there such uh, stress on you at that time uh, in your first year as the head coach? Well, anytime you move uh, a position from position coach to coordinator or coordinator to head coach, there's always a, a learning curve. I mean, I got a chance to watch Coach Bowden for 15 years and uh, learn a lot about being a head coach by watching him. But until you sit in the seat, 
you don't really feel the the enormity, enormous responsibility, the weight of that responsibility till you get there. And uh, so it was um, a time when I just got there, you know, your wife and kids are still back home and you're in the hotel and you're recruiting and uh, you're trying to get things going and recruiting one going too well. And, and you got boosters coming up to you saying that if you don't do any better in recruiting, I'm going to to start buying these players for you. And, and you just, you're just going, wow, what did I sign up for? And uh, I'll never forget being in the hotel room uh, that I was staying in, in Athens, Georgia, and actually got down on my face and uh, was really crying out to God saying, God, you know, what what have you got me into here? And uh, and I can't do it. And uh, and then, you know, in my spirit, you know, God said, you're right, you can't, you can't do it. But I will certainly be with you, and uh, that's basically what he told Moses when Moses was like, "Lord, why me? I, I, how can I possibly, you know, be the one to to take you know your people out of Egypt?" And uh, I've blown it already. There's, no, you know, I'm not capable of it. And, and God just said, "You you can't do it by yourself. You need me, and just follow me and trust me, and everything will be okay." And you know, it made life a lot simpler for me. It didn't make it necessarily easier, but it made simpler in that I knew what I needed to do, and that was to try to live a life that would please Him. I think it's awesome that you recognize that because a lot of people don't. You know, they, they'll they try to plow through thinking that, yeah, I can do this on my own, and they don't learn the lesson necessarily. And I know that there are plenty of examples in the Bible of, God rewarding. I think actually I just may have read uh, one of those stories this morning. It was Solomon, in fact, that I was reading. You know, when when God told him, I'll give you anything you want, and what did Solomon ask for? He asked for wisdom in guiding his people. And it was just right. it's an, it was one of those awesome lessons. But yet then God said, you know what? You didn't ask for it, but I'm going to make you one of the richest men in the world. And I and I, sure. I I see that in your story, Mark, and some things will come will continue to unfold here as we go, uh, because you had instant success, really. I mean, you you know took over in '01, but man, in '02, you know it was Georgia's first conference championship in 20 years, first ever outright SEC East Division championship. So I mean, things were rolling pretty good early for you. Oh, I was, and uh, you know, really enjoyed my time at Georgia. Um, so again, being first-time head coach, um, you got to prove a lot of things to a lot of people. You got your administration, you got your fan base, you got your boosters, you got your team, you got your coaching staff. You know, and uh, so you know, even year one, we didn't necessarily set the world on fire. I think we were eight and five or something like that. But we did have a, a great victory against Tennessee at Tennessee. Uh, against a great team that, you know, could have played for the national championship if they'd have won the, the SEC championship game, which they represented the East that year. And uh, and it was one of those games where, you know, we we're in, it was a tight ball game and going back and forth, and we looked like we were going to win the game at the end, and they threw a screen pass with less than two minutes to go that went like 80 yards for a touchdown, looked like they were going to win the game. and we But we came back, found a way to come back and win it, and uh, did it kind of did it in you know style so to speak and and so it was one of those games where where you know people are like well maybe this guy knows what he's doing maybe this staff knows what they're doing maybe 
you know, these kids can really do it. So it, it really helped us all believe that we could we could get it done. And uh, certainly, I couldn't have you know been that leader without without trusting God with everything. One of the things I also enjoyed reading about you, Mark, is how you recruited, uh, even though you were behind the eight ball in that first year at Georgia, you had decided, even though there was a popular practice in the Southeastern Conference of really over-signing players, you decided that that wasn't going to be the route you took because you were looking out for those older players. Well, yeah, I mean, my goal wasn't to run somebody off to make room for the next guy. Um, You know, if if the young man was signed by the University of Georgia and uh, did his part, you know, even even if he wasn't maybe as good as you'd hope he was, uh, you know, we weren't we weren't going to try to run the kid off, and uh, we were going to sign. You know, we had eighty five like everybody else, but you know, sometimes if you don't sign over, if you don't oversign with the attrition, you end up with a couple numbers short. But you know, I would take those extra numbers and you know reward a, a, a walk on uh, who deserved a scholarship. So it, that was a that was a blessing to the team as well. When I asked you some of the most difficult things that you had done, and I certainly want to get to uh, your family and uh, what you have done there uh, in regards to adoption, but you had mentioned that it was difficult uh, to do a 40-day fast, but I noticed you said your first 40-day fast, and I have never done a 40-day fast. I think I may have done a 40-hour fast has been the longest I've gone. <laughs> and that's really impressive that you've not only done it once, you've done it twice. I mean, that's what made you even want to do that in the first place? Well, the thing that I was wanting was to, I mean, I was hoping to audibly hear from God to say, this is what I want from you, Mark. Uh, you know, I just I had the burning desire to, to to please God, and uh, so you know when I fasted, obviously, I mean, um, you're you're fasting from food, but you're also wanting. To, you know, it's a cleansing process. You, you your body will, will get cleansed through through fasting. There's no doubt about that. But also, you want your spirit to be, you know, cleaned as well. And so, any unconfessed sin that I could think of I was trying to make sure I'd bring before God and pray that God bring things to mind that I could confess and uh, I mean I knew I was already forgiven for all those sins but I think it's important to to confess them even though God knows what they were and all that kind of deal but uh, you know my goal was really for direction to say this is what I want from you Mark and you know when it was all said and done what I learned was that what I really felt God was telling me in my spirit was that uh, he just wanted to tell me that he loved me and that, you know, he, I mean, he created me, he loved me, and uh, he he really just wanted me to love him back. And, and you know, and the only way to love him back, I mean, how do you love your father? You love him through obedience, and how do you obey unless you know what he wants? Well, how do you know what he wants? You, you get in his word, you listen to gifted preachers you 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 pray and uh you know so you know my goal really just became a desire to be obedient to god with whatever i thought he was trying to tell us 
And uh, when I say us, I'm talking about my wife and myself. And uh, we were, you know, we were a good team in that way. Let's talk a little bit about that, Mark. Your wife, Catherine, you guys were married back in late 80s? Uh, yeah, 87, I think. Okay. I'm glad you're oh. listening right now. <laughs> I, did, I did not mean to get you in trouble, Mark. I think it was 87. But uh, anyway, we just finished. We got 33-year reunions, I mean, uh, anniversary, so that's about right. You've got four children. You had two, John and, and David, and then... Uh, after that, you decided to adopt a couple of children. Talk about right about that. Yeah, we uh, we were in a Bible study class. Um, I think it was a Sunday school class, and we had actually a couple that had already gone to Ukraine and adopted two children there. And uh, but we you know the subject was James talking about uh, who's going to take care of the. Uh, the orphans and the widows, and it was the church, and the church is not the building, it's the people. I mean, we, we are the church, and so, you know, we kind of got put on our hearts to consider adoption, you know, what can we do as a church, as a part of the church to to help the orphans and the widows, and we, we decided to talk to the Tadlocks, that was the name of the family, who had adopted and Catherine's brother Billy and his wife actually went to the exact same orphanage and got to uh while we were kind of mulling it over long story short we decided to do it and um it was quite a trip um I actually dropped Catherine off at the airport and let her go first because <laughs> it was you know getting ready for the football season and I couldn't be gone for a month and uh, so she was there about two, three weeks, and then I came towards the end of the adoption process to go before the judge and do all the things that you had to do. But uh, you talk about a leap of faith. Um, and, you know, there was some confidence to know that Catherine was going to be talking to the same group that helped the other people adopt. It wasn't like we were going in there blindly, but it's still very difficult to, at that moment of truth, to you know, say goodbye to her as she got on the plane to go to this country by herself. It was, when we look back on it, it was kind of crazy. But, you know, we were both convinced that, you know, God wanted us to do it. So we did it. You know, it wasn't like you were uh, getting two completely healthy children either. I mean, because uh, Anya, right, was born with a rare disorder. Yeah, she, you know, we got Anya and Zach and... uh Zach's name is Ruslan, actually. We, we call him Zach because we gave him a middle name of Zachariah. But, and then Anya's name was Anya uh, on the birth certificate. We gave her Anya Elizabeth. But, uh, yeah, she had, um, you know, I don't even know if there's a, a true diagnosis for it, to be honest with you. But it was a facial um, deformity, basically, that uh, kind of cartilage-type material in her face was kind of doing what it wanted to do instead of being where it belonged. And, you know, when we saw the picture of her, um, we were thinking who who might adopt this child. And so uh, we went there, and and she was still available. There was another boy we thought we were going to get, and um, somebody else got him, I guess, before we did. And then, um, you know, they brought Ruslan in to Catherine, and Catherine said, sure, we'll take him. And, um, <laughs> you know, so we, we had decided to bring two home, and, and so that's what we did. So how how is everyone? 
Well, they're, they're doing well. Zach just had his 24th birthday. He's uh, We got him when he was uh, three and a half. Anya was two and a half. And uh, he lives in Orlando. Anya is in Athens, Georgia. She's a, a vet tech. David uh, is uh, in, in Nashville, Tennessee with his wife, Joanna. And John lives in the, near the Athens area in Athens, Georgia. And um, he's married with two children. So it's it's a blessing. That's awesome. Well, obviously you were you know, the head coach at Georgia for, you know, from 2001 all the way to 2015. So you can say, you know, how, whatever you want about this, but I got to ask, the end of your stint at Georgia, you know, you finish a 9-3 and three record. I mean, you know, you were 145 and 51 in your tenure as the Georgia head coach. So what happened at the end? Well, I didn't win any national championships um, during that time frame. I think it's probably the best way to describe it. And we averaged close to 10 games a year, victories. and uh, But, uh, you know, after time, uh, if you don't win the game, then people are ready to give somebody else a shot. But, you know, those were wonderful years for us. Fifteen years of, uh, you know, at the in the in the SEC and and also in a in a great city that we raised our family. We all of our children went to Prince Avenue Christian School. It was a K through twelve school. We raised our family there, and uh, there was it was a great community. We were we were blessed in a lot of ways. So you know, great players and great fans, and you know, obviously. If you're in a leadership position, not everything is going to be rosy all the time. But, you know, for the most part, we we enjoyed every bit of it. You say goodbye to Georgia. You say hello to Miami. Now you're back where you went to college. Was there any other choice for you, Mark, between Georgia and then, you know, going to Miami? Or was Miami the, the only place and first place you wanted to go? Yeah. Well, uh, the other choice would have been to sit out at least a year. And that was my original plan, actually. And then uh, when the Miami job, Miami job already was open, but when they contacted me, them and, uh, gosh, within the first 24 hours, there's probably six different schools that contacted me about possibly being the head coach. And I was getting ready to jump on a plane and visit this one and that one and the other one. And I just went to Catherine. I said, you know, the only job I've ever really considered at this point would be Miami, so I'm going to listen to what they have to say, and then then we'll figure it out from there. But um, I heard enough good of what I wanted to, what I needed to hear, and and so we decided we were all in and uh, went, went to went to Miami. Again, kind of instant success. You were nine and four in the first year, ten and three in year two, and then your three rolls around, and you're off to a good start, but you end up you know seven and six on the season, and then you're not coaching anymore. Well, I, I, you know, truthfully, I just ran out of gas. I mean, I was, I was pretty fatigued when the, when the Georgia thing ended, to be honest with you, and probably needed a year rest, but you know, that Miami job wouldn't have been open the next year after hiring a brand new coach. So, you know, went ahead and decided to do it, but you know, within 48 hours of, you know, leaving, leaving Georgia, I was back in the saddle going hard and, you know, Miami, there was a lot of things that had to get done and a lot of heavy lifting. Um, and, uh, you know, I decided I wanted to call plays again and coach QBs again, and along with being head coach. And and I just 
didn't I didn't take care of myself. Um, I was grinding. You know, I, I did better when I had fam- when I had our children in the home because I'd always make sure I had time for the kids. But when it was just Catherine and me, we're you know we just were like let's let's go, let's grind, and I, I grounded myself in the ground pretty much. Uh, just didn't exercise, didn't eat right. Uh, just was doing fundraising, coaching, recruiting, you know, doing all the things that I just mentioned, you know, as a position coach, play caller, just try to do too much. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, it got to the point where I didn't feel, um, I was concerned about my health and I didn't think I was the best person for Miami at that moment. So I told the AD, that I was done. Well, and I guess you you had a sense of maybe what was coming because you suffered a heart attack last year. Yeah, not long after. And, you know, what I learned about the heart attacks is that a lot of times one of the, one of the symptoms prior to a heart attack is extreme fatigue. And uh, that more than likely had a little something to do with that. I had two of my arteries were, two of my arteries were 100% blocked and uh, one, one being the widow maker. But, um, you know, it, uh, when, once it hits you, it, it hits you. And, uh, so, you know, what I was feeling at Miami probably had something to do with the condition of my, my heart and my arteries. And my heart was fine. It was just getting blood to it. That's the problem. And, uh, well, but anyway, you know, that experience was very interesting. Um, long story short. I'm in uh, I'm in the hospital, and uh, they're you know I'm on the cath table, and they can't they don't put me out because my blood pressure went too low. So I was kind of conscious through the whole thing, and um, there was different times where different body parts were going numb on me. And doctor kept asking, "What are you feeling?" And I'm saying, "Well, my left arm's numb." And then later on, my right arm was numb, and later on, my right leg was numb, and then my head and ears went numb, and and finally, I, I blacked out completely, and uh, and everything kind of went silent, and um, and I was thinking this was it, you know. Um, I just felt like my body had shut down. But the beauty of it was the uh, the peace in my spirit that uh, I was feeling at the time. I I knew where I was going, and I was excited about it, and then, uh, I was going to be going to be with Jesus, you know, and. Um, now, my body, you know, I mean, I was still kind of gasping for air and crying out and all that, but but in my spirit, I knew I knew where I was going, and it was, it was a great confirmation of the decision I made in 1986 with Coach Bowden, so it was a blessing. You had mentioned to me in communication that your favorite scripture is Colossians 3.23. Why that one? I think I think it's simple to apply to your daily life. You know, so many people are like, "What, what do I need to do, God? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do?" And uh, but God says uh, in Colossians three twenty three, "Whatever you do, you know, coach, teach, you know, be a plumber, be a bus driver, women, whatever you do, do your work heartily." H e a r t i l y. Do it heartily. Do it the best you can. And do it unto the Lord rather than man. And uh, so, you know, the bottom line is when you, if you, no matter what you do, he wants you to do your best and, and do it for him, not so much for for man. And 
it's it's the greatest kind of accountability that we can have. I mean, if you're only accountable when your boss is watching, you know, then what are you doing when he's not watching? Or, uh, you know, a lot of people in their lives, their private lives, they think they have secret things that they do or secret times that they have. And if your accountability is to the Lord rather than men, then God sees everything, knows everything. And so if you truly love God and want to show him how how you love him by obeying him, then you're going to like that accountability. So that that's always been one that has meant a lot to me. Well, now you're applying that type of work uh, to the ACC network. As soon as we get football right. back, <laughs> you'll be in that's the right. booth. Exactly. I'm looking forward to it. We'll see what happens, but I think the country needs a little football about now, don't you? Uh, absolutely. One other thing. I know that you're the spokesperson for North American Missions. T- tell us what that means and how can anybody get involved in that? Well, it's the North American Mission Board, and uh, it's it's a compassion ministry in North America. <laughs> but uh, a lot of they'll do a lot of um, they'll get involved in a lot of things uh, as far as crises, but also just day to day food bank type stuff and mission trips. People will you know take mission trips to different parts of America uh, to to help people out, but. Um, there's a website. If you just, if anybody just types in North American Mission Board, they'll be able to see everything they need to see to get involved. But um, oh, it's something that uh, I'm excited about. Well, listen, we look forward to hopefully getting to see you on the ACC Network uh, during the football season upcoming. And Mark Rick, thank you so much for your time on this podcast. And God bless sure. you, Mark. And and uh, boy, you are such a an impact. Uh, to so have had such an impact to so many people, and I know you're going to continue to do that uh, good work for the Lord. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. My thanks to Mark Rick for being a part of our Suit Up podcast series. Please give us a five-star rating and check out some of our other incredible stories at suitup611.com.